morning, everyone. You're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My name is Kate Copsey, and I am the host of the show. You can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com, or through America's Web Radio Station site. This morning, we are going to talk the fruit garden with David Deardorff and Catherine Wadsworth. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning, Kate. And you're over in delightful Washington State. Is that right? That's correct, on the Olympic Peninsula. Oh, good, and a nice mild climate up there. Yes, it is. It's uh, USDA 8, and it's... uh, uh, it's well, actually it's uh, uh, mid January and it's getting to be spring here already. At least the birds and the plants in the garden think it's spring. Well, we haven't quite got that far in uh, in New Jersey, which is kind of where where I am right now. But uh, yeah, but um, you um, we had you on the show about a year ago ago with your book about um, what's wrong with my vegetable garden and your new book is in the same series uh, with what's wrong with my fruit garden so let's talk about some of the the basics shall we say of of growing fruit so that it's healthy what would be the because obviously a a healthy one doesn't get quite as many problems as a a non-healthy tree and so what are the basic conditions to make for a a healthy fruit garden kind of as far far as um, soils and and general positioning well as far as uh, 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 general positioning I think uh, one of the things that that uh, can help most people very much with their uh, fruit production uh, and vegetables too is an integrated landscape um, where you you bring your uh, instead of having a segregated landscape where where your vegetable garden is a is a special place that's set aside for nothing but vegetables and then a fruit orchard that's set aside for nothing but fruit trees, for example, bring the the fruit trees and the vegetables and the flowers and shrubs, the ornamental landscape, all together into one integrated landscape. The the advantages of doing that is solves a lot of problems for people. Um, because mixing the plants up invites uh, a number of beneficial organisms into the garden. That's one thing. Uh, another thing is that the uh, mixing the plants up provides uh, a degree of camouflage, uh, where your pest insects have a harder time finding their their target host plant if the plants are not on uh, mass in a in a in a monoculture. Um, and the third thing is the isolation. By isolating, uh, let's say, two similar fruit trees, like two apple trees, by separating them by some distance, um, you get better protection from pests and diseases both. Um, and then there's, of course, an idea of competitive exclusion that keeps uh, pathogenic microorganisms out of an ecosystem when the niches are full. So. Mixing up the landscape, uh, bringing the plants all together into the same space is really a, a, a beneficial technique in terms of organizing and spacing out your uh, fruits and vegetables and ornamentals. Yeah, and and you you mentioned sort of um, maybe not two apple trees in the same space, um, sort of next to each other, but how far apart? 
would they have to be? Um, you usually use space kind of, I guess, dwarf fruits or semi-dwarf as, what, uh, 10 to 15 feet. So would you need a much yarder, larger area to do that? Well, um, not necessarily a larger area. I mean, that 12 to 15 feet is a good spacing for semi-dwarf uh, fruit trees. Uh, what, I would, what I would do is just uh, insert, uh, say you have an apple tree, and then, uh, say, 12 to 15 feet away, put a peach tree, and then 12 to 15 feet away from that, put an apple tree. So there's some, something in between the two apple trees. So they're not so close together, for example, that their foliage touches each other. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I know that, um, you know, uh, particularly um, with certain fruits, um, does it take a long time? Can you can you gauge how long it takes for them to actually fruit? And would that indicate maybe an issue if they weren't fruiting? I mean, I know, for instance, if you go to the big box store in spring, you can buy pears and they've got fruit on or they've got flowers on them and they start fruiting. Should it continue to fruit or is that just a fluke of the sales market um, that you shouldn't be concerned if it's not fruiting the following year? Um, no, that's not a fluke. And, a fluke. and uh, actually, a, a fairly young tree in its first or second year will, I mean, they, they should flower every spring and, um, and, and try to set fruit. Um, we don't allow our, our young trees to set very much fruit. Um, I think uh, we have two apple trees. We allowed each of those and they've only been in the ground one year, but they flowered very well in their first spring in the ground, and they fruited uh, abundantly. But we picked all those little tiny apples off the trees except for four or five apples on each tree just because we wanted to taste them, you know? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and, you know, you're not going to get a full crop, uh, an abundant crop, uh, until the tree is three to five years old. And you don't want it to anyway because it'll put so much energy into making fruit that it won't grow strong. It'll just be weak. So, th so that's the prime reason um, for maybe taking off the the fruit when it when it's very very young, right? Yes, because they're just they're just too young to bear that much fruit. It's a it's a real energy drain on the plant to try to do that. So, yeah, you want to thin those the fruit for the first. Uh, I'd say for the first two years, anyhow, maybe three, um, to let and get uh, stronger and able to um, to produce that much fruit. And so, so it should do that then every consecutive years, or or do some some fruit have maybe um, off years rather than good years? Well, uh, um, a lot of plants do. Um, if they have an abundant crop of fruit one year, then uh, sometimes they, you know it has taken so much energy out of them that the the following year uh, they don't flower and fruit very well, and then they come back like gangbusters in the third year. That's called alternate bearing, and um, that often with ornamentals like rhododendrons. If you if you don't deadhead the rhododendrons or lilacs, so you allow them to make seeds. Then they don't flower very well the year uh, a year later. 
So, 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 which which fruit do do this alternating bit? Is it most fruit or just a few of them? I think it's a uh, it's probably a a general uh, idea among fruits. I think uh, I don't I don't I have to say I don't really know, but I think that that um, it's a problem. It's an energetic and physiological problem for for the plant. So I can see how it would apply to any plant uh, once it goes into into reproductive mode and starts making fruits and seeds, it saps so much energy out of the plant that uh, it just doesn't have the strength to do it again the second year. Okay. Huh. Um, yeah, and I, I know, you know, for some people that, that is a bit of a problem. But what about um, bushes like raspberries and blueberries? Do they do a similar type type of thing? Uh, there's a lot of new, new, particularly blueberries on the market uh, now, container types. Are they li- liable to be doing that same um, alternate type, type idea, or are they more moderate um, across all years? I think they're more moderate uh, uh, across all years. At least in our experience, our blueberries uh, produce a, a, a decent quantity of blueberries every year. Um, they don't overwhelm us with their production, um, but that may be partly our fault. Uh, I, I will say that that our blueberries, as an example, do produce much better. This is all assuming that they're getting what they need. For example, they're getting a good soil amendment, getting adequate water and good light. All fruit pretty much needs a lot of full sun. And the thing with blueberries, for example, is they also need some acid around their base. This last summer, for example, we we miss in that. We didn't give them enough acid, and so they didn't produce as many berries as we usually get from them. Yeah. Um, so, so um, how far then does um, having good cultural habits um, help with with some of the issues that they that they might have? Is it critical to have perfect um, cultural conditions, or or is it something that you can may, maybe you know? I mean, they 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 survive in the wild or, or without any care for a long time. Is so? How far does really good cultural conditions make a difference? Oh well, it, it it does. It makes it can make a huge difference in the uh, amount and quality of the fruits that you're getting from your plants. Um, uh, an apple tree, for example, you use them surviving in the wild, uh, often riddled with disease, um, and yet they persist. They they continue to grow even in the semi-shaded locations. They don't do well. They do make fruit, um, but they're, they're, they're sort of struggling compared to a well-managed apple tree in a garden uh, that's getting uh, as much light as it needs. All, all for fruit production, a plant needs as you know abundant sunlight. So trying to grow them in shade is a very difficult situation. Um, I will say add this. I don't think you have to be perfect in your cultural conditions. None of us are. But we, but the better it is, you know, the stronger the tree, the, the fruit plant will be and the more abundant fruit it will make. Yes. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, and, and I certainly think, I mean, everybody has seen the, these really old trees, may, maybe from grandma's garden and things like that, that seem to flourish. Does that maybe indicate that some of the older trees might be better than the newer ones? Um, well, I think that's an interesting question. I'm not <laughs> sure um, that I can answer that. I know that a lot of, uh, of trees... Um, well, you think of apple trees and pear trees that that, that are, are still around. I mean, they can live for uh, 50 years, uh, maybe 75 years, even 100 years. I don't oh, know wow. how long lived there, but they live a long time. Yeah. Uh, especially environmental conditions are, are, are pretty good for them. Yeah. Um, so these old, you know, old trees can be rejuvenated if they're, they're decrepit um, with appropriate pruning. Um, you, you don't want to, because a lot of them have grown, um, you know, which way, and they're and they're loaded with uh, a twiggy, dense twiggy uh, that doesn't support fruit production that provides shade in the crown of the tree. So you have to thin that out by one third, not more than a third. Uh, each year until you've cut the tree back and it's grown new branches and it's become basically become young again. Yeah. And anyway, um, yeah. Well, I think we have to go for our first um, commercial break here. Um, but uh, yeah, but we, we will be back talking more about what's wrong with your fruit garden with David and Catherine on America's homegrown veggies, and we will be back in just a moment. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot Conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. Hi, this is Dave Smith. Listen every Monday to America's Web Radio, The American Dream. My past background with healthcare, being president of uh, insurance companies, will keep you informed on healthcare and other topics that's going on in Washington and around this great country. American Dream, 10 a.m., America's Web Radio. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com. Connecting farm to fork. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at America's Homegrown Veggies. And if you miss any shows, you can find them on americaswebradio.com webpages. And you can find them on iTunes and Stitchers. And this morning, we are talking up with David Deardorff and Catherine Wadsworth about what's wrong with your fruit garden. And we talked a little about some of the older varieties of apple trees maybe being... Um, um, maybe not quite so productive and whatever. Um, so um, I guess we, if uh, if we talk growing healthy trees and common issues, let's turn to some of the um, the common things that can go wrong. Um, fruiting probably being one, if you haven't got correct pollination, um, how does that um, affect, particularly with things like apples and pears and peaches? Um, do they self-pollinate? Do they need pollinators? How How does that work? I think it's uh, the most common problem with with, uh, fruit tree uh, production that we run into uh, as we give talks around the country um, and talk to other gardeners. Um, We do a lot of teaching, for example, with the master gardeners, and and the the problem that comes up is, is that people don't understand that when they're given the advice that it's for uh, an apple tree or a pear tree, for example, to make, you have to have two trees for cross pollination to occur. And people don't, what they, what people generally don't understand is that two trees mean you have to have two different cultivars of apple trees, pear trees, or other fruit trees in order for successful cross pollination. If you have two trees, like let's say two red delicious apple trees, they're the same cultivar, they have the same name, red delicious, they cannot pollinate each other. It's basically, they're the same individual. Um, because they're clones. They're clones. And, uh, and apple trees and pear trees in particular are what's called self-incompatible. Their, uh, their pollen is uh, incapable of fertilizing the flowers on the same cultivar. Um, so you really have to have two different apples, two different named cultivars, like, for example, let's say a Red Delicious and a Granny Smith. Now, those two apples can pollinate each other. So if you have one Granny Smith apple tree and one Red Delicious apple tree, then you can lot of fruit on both of those trees. You have two red delicious apple trees, you won't get any fruit. Or- yeah, yeah. Um, so how close do these um, two trees have to be if they're, if they're obviously opening and uh, producing flowers at the same time? Can, do they have to be um, within may- maybe 50 feet to work or can it be quarter of a mile, sort of a neighbor a little ways off so that you don't need to have two trees literally in your own garden? No, you don't have to have two trees in your garden. Uh, honeybees will fly as far as three miles from the hive foraging for pollen and nectar. So, uh, so you know, there, there are pretty good distances that the bees will, will cover. And, it, it, of course, it is the bees that are absolutely necessary and vital for cross-pollination to occur. They're the workers that uh, bring the pollen from one plant to another. So, uh, but you can have, if you have one apple tree and your neighbor 
you know, down the block has a different kind of apple tree, then yes, you can get cross-pollination between those two trees as long as the bees are working and the weather's uh, the bees. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I know... Um you know, with um, particularly apples, for instance, um, they, they have they have a tendency to get worms and grubs and things like that. And I, I remember many years ago, I was on a master gardener hotline and somebody asked me if he could spray arsenic um, on the apples to stop um, the worms. Um, it didn't seem like one of the most logical things to me. But I found out later that um, the old farmers used to put on some um, arsenic compound in the fruit onto the fruit trees to stop that problem is there's got to be a better way than an arsenic compound to stop a worm right <laughs> <laughs> definitely <laughs> well <laughs> but who would want to eat apple that's covered in arsenic well I, well yes <laughs> it, i wouldn't imagine it would do the human any good <laughs> when you're talking when you're dealing with plants that you intend to eat, like fruits and vegetables, you really have to be very careful what, what, you, uh, what you put on them. And, and so uh, all of our books emphasize organic gardening. That's, uh, organic remedies is all we um, recommend and it's what we have in our book. So there are, there are a number of, there are lots of choices. Uh, the, the principal uh, worm is actually a caterpillar. Uh, that gets into apples and pears is the codling moth, and um, the codling moth is 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 persistent. It's everywhere, you know, everywhere that apples are grown, this little moth occurs. And the when the when the female moth um, lays her egg, she lays the egg on the surface of a little, you know, small green apple. And the little uh, caterpillar that hatches out from the egg has to eat its way into the apple. It'll, it'll bore a tunnel and go to live in the core of the apple, and it'll sit in there and eat and poop and feed until it's mature, and then it'll burrow out of the apple to the ground. So that gives you there's two points in the life cycle where you can affect these guys. Uh, first of all, is when the when the calling moth wants to lay her egg on the little green apple, you can spray that apple with um, a bacterium called BT. It's Bacillus thuringiensis, and when the caterpillar eats, starts eating the apple, it will ingest those bacteria, and the bacteria kill it. They only kill caterpillars. Okay. It doesn't hurt honeybees or dogs or cats or people. It only kills caterpillars. So that works pretty well on the apples. Another thing you can do with those little green apples is to spray them with uh, uh, what's called kaolin. It's actually clay and it makes it coats the little apples with a, a white powdery clay so that the female codling moth doesn't recognize it as an apple anymore. So she doesn't lay her eggs on because she doesn't know it's an apple. It's been disguised by the by the kaolin. So there's two ways of protecting the little apples from the from the moth. Uh, another way of doing it 
is when the when the little worm is mature inside the apple, as I said earlier, it burrows its way out of the apple and it and it goes down to the ground to the soil where it pupates in the soil. So you can use a a, a beneficial organism called beneficial nematodes. Um, you you mix it with water and you sprinkle it off the ground and these little microscopic worms live in the soil. They're beneficial because they're obligate parasites of insects. Any insect that is in the soil for a part of its life cycle is vulnerable to attack by these beneficial nematodes. So it will it will prevent the codling moth pupa from maturing and that helps to protect your next year's crop, but it doesn't protect this year's crop. And are these things easily available? I mean, I've, I've heard of the, the, the BT. Um, is, is that something you can actually spray onto them, or do you have to – is it a dust that would be maybe more impractical if you'd got a large tree? It's, it's available both as a, as a spray in water and all the dust. And uh, almost every garden center that I know of carries it, uh, both formulas, either the liquid concentrate or the dust. Oh, okay. So, so, it's, so it's easy enough to, to get to, and it's fairly easy to apply um, to, to the trees. And you do that with apples as well as pears, right? Absolutely. Uh, and any, actually, any plant that's subject to uh, by a caterpillar uh, the BT works very, very well, um, and it's available uh, everywhere. Oh, okay. So, so you could use the same stuff on the squash as as you could on the uh, on the the pear tree. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, um, and it's perfectly safe. There, there are actually. I should mention that there are there are three different strains of this bacteria. Uh, the one that's commonly available everywhere is variety Kerstaki, and when you go to the store and you look for BT or you ask for BT, they'll, you know, they'll, the, the people will help you find it, and uh, it's just called BT usually, but if you look on the label carefully, it'll, it'll specify that it's Bacillus thuringiensis variety Kerstaki. The other two varieties, Israelensis is one that kills, it attacks and kills high uh, larvae, like mosquito larvae. It's very good at controlling fungus gnats and mosquito larvae. And the third one is variety San Diego, and that one specifically kills beetles and only beetles. Okay. So, so you and does it say um, on the the label of them which one they they are? Do you think? Yes. Yes. It, on the label somewhere that it's for worms or for caterpillars if it's variety or something. Oh, okay. So, so you can't get, get com- confused, um, you know, like, like if it was on ro- roses or, or something like that. You, you just have to look for the correct BT um, and it, it won't kill anything else. It wouldn't kill the mosquitoes as well. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, we need to um, take another quick commercial break here, but I want to remind everyone you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggies, and we'll be back with more about what's wrong with the fruit garden with David Deardorff and Catherine Wadsworth. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the smaller fruit like blueberries and figs. 
Talks. We will be right back. This is Michael Ganot with the Middle East Research Center Limited, bringing you insight to Israel, the truth about the greatness of the Jewish state and its struggle for sovereignty and security, every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. You're back listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey, and this morning we are talking about what can go wrong with your fruit garden with David Deardorff and Catherine Wadsworth. And, guys, we talked about, um, I guess, the coddling moth um, in apples and things like that. Um, so let's turn now to some of the smaller fruits um one of the ones that i came across uh, this past week when ordering some fruit um was were things like the currants and the and the gooseberries and i found that there's only certain varieties that i can grow in my home state of of new jersey uh, because they are an alternate host to um a virus that can attack the the pine trees um is this a common problem among um is this just unique with, with a few of the berries, or, or is this a more common problem? It's a, it's a specific problem with the currants uh, in particular because um, the, the, uh, the white pine blister rust uh, kills the white pine trees, which is a commercially valuable timber tree, um, especially in the, in the eastern half of the United States. Um, so because that tree is valuable in, in, uh, in its original, you know, forest stand, a uh, long, long time ago, the federal government of the United States banned the planting of currants uh, and, uh, and probably also gooseberries um, and in order to protect the pine trees. Th- that fungus, it's a rust fungus, and all rust fungi, there's about 4,000 species of them, but they, one of the things about them is that they have alternative hosts. So they live apart from the life cycle of one plant and then the other half of their life cycle in a completely different plant. In this case, the white pine, white pine blister rust lives for half the life cycle in current bushes, in the leaves of current bushes, and then the 
from that plant fly over to a white pine tree and infect and kill the white pine tree. It doesn't kill the currants, but it does kill the pine tree. So, so would I be, be right, David, that that's a little bit like the, um, the apple tree and cedars doing the cedar apple rust, but, but from what I can gather, that isn't deadly to either tree? Yes, that's that's right. The the uh, cedar apple rust is is another species of rust fungus, uh, like the one that infects uh, white pines and uh, currants. Uh, uh, they're both rust fungus, but the cedar apple uh, rust fungus it spends half its life cycle in a uh, tree that's actually a juniper, um, and the other half of its life cycle in the leaf of an apple tree. Um, th- that fungus, the cedar apple rust, uh, doesn't kill the apple tree or the juniper. It's not lethal the way the white pine blister rust is. Um, so it hasn't been um, uh, there hasn't been a, a you know a national campaign to eradicate um, uh, rust fungi. Are spores are spread by the wind, and so. Uh, it will the the, fungus, the spores that are that come from the juniper, the fungus on the juniper will infect an apple tree in the springtime when it leaves out. It makes spots on leaves, and then the leaves develop uh, special structures that make a different kind of spore that flies on the wind to infect the juniper tree again. So. Yeah. Um, with all rust fungi, even the ones that, that are on wheat uh, and, and other uh, plants like uh, hawks and snapdragons in the ornamental garden, those are all different species of rust. Uh, uh, there are about 4,000 different species of rust, and the one that gets on your hollyhocks is not the same as the one that gets on your apples and, and junipers. Oh. They're different species, but all of them can be controlled better if there's good air circulation, good air movement around your plants, if the plants are not crowded. Uh, the air movement helps a lot. Uh, if you need a some kind of pro- protective spray, a good one to use is sulfur. It's been used uh, since the days of the ancient Romans for uh, to control rust fungus on the wheat crops. Um, so and and, and would and would you do a similar thing then with the the currants and and the the uh, the gooseberries? You should take a preventative um, uh, type of thing. So you should be spray, spraying those so that it doesn't become a problem. Yes, uh, treat them with sulfur. Okay. Uh, again, give them good uh, good uh, environmental conditions like good air circulation, uh, and don't plant any of them too close together. You know, like we talked earlier about the integrated landscape, mm-hmm. it really helps if you can have your current bushes scattered across your landscape instead of all in one place. Yeah. Um, so do those things and plant, you know, the right plant in the right place, and uh, that'll go a long way toward preventing the fungus. And then, an actual, you know, a spray that you can use to to protect your plants is sulfur. And is that a dormant spray? No, it's not a dormant spray. It's, uh, uh, what you want is it, it's available both as a dust and as a liquid. Um, if you know the the company Safe 
makes uh, insecticidal soap. Safer insecticidal soap also makes uh, a product called Safer Garden Fungicide, and that is just sulfur in water. Um, it comes in this, you know, handy little squirt bottle that you spray on your plants. Okay, and and that, I'm, I mean, I love hollyhocks, um, but they do have a tendency to um, to get get that that problem. Um, but um, let's talk then a little about um, strawberries, one of the the favourites, I think, in out there in the world. Um, one of the thing things that obviously they're low growing. Do they suffer? A lot from from rots and things like that, particularly in humidity um, and and notoriously wet summers or something like that. Uh, yes, strawberries um, because they are so low growing and the and the fruits develop uh, inflorescences that that are where the fruits actually on the ground in that soil. Uh, they are easily uh, infected by fungi from the soil. Um, there's a number of different fungi that infect the the uh, strawberry fruits and and make them, you know, get all mushy and fuzzy and gray or brown. <clears throat> so the reason why we call them strawberries in the first place is because if you mulch them, if you mulch the plants pretty pretty heavily with straw. It keeps the developing fruit off of the soil. You can use straw or or bark or shredded newspaper. I mean, anything you pine can, needles or pine needles. You, you know, any kind of a good organic mulch that will slowly decompose and turn into fertilizer uh, will keep the developing fruit uh, from contacting the soil, and that will help keep the fruit itself from getting all mushy and rotten. Yeah, um, and, so, and so that 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 will that will help a lot of them. What about um, think, things like um, raspberries and uh, the the associate the black the blackberries and things like that? The cane fruit. Um, do they have um, any any issues apart from being thorny? Well, uh, I think the primary issue for for all those cane fruits, or or a lot of people call them brambles. Um, uh, I think that people don't understand uh, the, the basic fact of all of those different kinds of blackberries, boysenberries, uh, marionberries, uh, raspberries, dewberries. Uh, all of those kinds of plants have canes that only live for two years. And so in, in uh, how they work is in the first uh, – a cane begins to grow – in the early springtime, and it will grow all summer long, and it'll just be vegetative. It just has leaves and no flowers, no fruit. And in that first year, that cane is called a, a primo cane. In the second year of its life, it goes through winter, and the following spring and summer, it, that primo cane becomes a, a flora cane because it flowers and it sets fruit. Uh, and after it flowers and sets fruit in that second year, then after it's done, it dies to the ground. So it should be pruned away in the in fall. Uh, and at the end of summer, when it's done fruiting or in the fall, you need to prune away those old uh, fruiting canes, the flora canes that have then died. Uh, and you want to keep the new canes, the primo canes of the current year. 
I know that's confusing. I mean, the the, the words uh, primo cane and floricane get confusing, folks. But um, it's really pretty easy to tell if you're looking at your blackberry or you're looking at your or your raspberry plant in the winter time. You can see the remains of old inflorescences, maybe some dead mummy berries still hanging on the plant. You can tell which canes are two years old and are dead and which canes are only one year old and are still alive. Um, and so just look carefully at them and remove all those ones that are old. And, and and so is there a problem if you leave them on that maybe they'd get infected or something? Mm, or would they just I, crowd, crowd out all the newer ones? It, it, no, uh, the, the new canes will grow up. Uh, through those old dead canes, it what it becomes then is a dense, uh, spiny, tangled mass that sort of lacerates your arms while you're trying to pick the fruit. Yeah, um, and you know, I, I know that there, there are um, obviously a, that there's a lot of of those um, that, that really do. Um, I mean, there, there are I think a few though now that are. Um, smooth canes which uh, which is a real helpful um, thing thing particularly um, when, when you're going, going in there and, and pruning them um, and they work in the same way right yes uh, yes the, those uh, uh, blackberries in particular the thorns <laughs> can be vicious so uh, those the, the newer kinds of thornless blackberries are, are really kind of wonderful they're very productive and the canes are smooth they don't bite back yeah, um, and I think think I saw a container one, which was more a kind of a bush variety, which should be um, re- really interesting to give a try. Um, but, you know, we need to take our final commercial break here. Come back, everyone, and listen to more about the book What's Wrong With My Fruit Garden from David Deardorff and Catherine Wadsworth after these messages. PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com Have you checked out the only online guide where employers, health plans, brokers, and consultants can navigate private exchange and defined contribution markets? Browse PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com today. The emergence of private health insurance exchanges represents perhaps the most significant shift in how Americans purchase health benefits in years. As employers move their employee population into private exchanges, this trend is on a growth projection into the 2015 benefit year and beyond, according to research published by Allegis Technologies. Visit PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com today to browse our national searchable directory and for Healthcare Exchange Solutions magazine and newsletter. Be sure to submit your listing for inclusion in this groundbreaking guide at www.PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com. That's www.PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com. This is Cheryl Linker, host of the Master Gardener Hour on America's Web Radio, Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. Join us as we keep things fun and interesting as we educate you in the world of master gardening. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? 
All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. I hope you're enjoying America's homegrown veggie show this morning. We have been talking about the fruit garden with authors David Deardorff and Catherine Wadsworth. And the book, the new book is called What's Wrong With My Fruit Garden. Uh, so how long, guys, has this one been on the, the shelves? Oh, it uh, just came out at the, the uh, end of December. I'm not sure the exact date, but uh, yeah, it's the, our fruit garden book is brand new. Oh wow! Um, and uh, I know I saw saw it at one of the the uh, the conferences I was at. And this is um, is it organized in the same way as the What's Wrong with My Plant and What's Wrong with My Veggie Garden? The other two books in the series. Well, actually, the the organization is uh, is different, and I'll. I'll, I'll uh, Oh, okay. I was just going to add. Yes, it's exactly. It's organized exactly the same way as what's wrong with my vegetable garden, with plant portraits at the beginning, and then some troubleshooting guides and solutions at the end of the book. What's wrong with my plant, however, is organized completely differently. It's actually a diagnostic system where you it works on any plant anywhere in the world, and it's based on looking at the symptoms that you see and it's actually a dichotomous key so that you can and it has is fully illustrated so it's a more complex book a little bit more difficult to use but more comprehensive for any plant problem anywhere but but this one is organized like like the the veggie book then this one is organized like the veggie book with plant portraits at the beginning troubleshooting guides or problem solving guides and then uh, organic solutions. Okay. Our, our, we're currently hard at work. What's wrong with my house plant? Oh. Um, be the fourth book in the series, and it's going to have a slightly different organizational format. But more similar That's, to the what's wrong with my fruit garden and vegetable garden. Yes. It's similar to that. A little different. Okay. Uh, well, house plants are a totally. Um, different type of thing but they're becoming very very popular i think um but um and but the books can be be purchased online and big box stores and and small um bookstores the whole kit and caboodle right yeah you can get them at your independent bookstore you can get them online from amazon and target and lowe's and and like you say the big box stores and also from timber press directly uh, and can, can they get them through your website as well or not? Well, our, we don't we don't uh, sell them, but we have links on our website that goes to places where you can buy them. Oh, okay. Um, and we should should men- mention your your website is Deardorff and, and Wadsworth. Is that right? Well, we're it is currently we are in the middle of undergoing a change, and it's going to be a better, more exciting website. It's going to be done by the end of this week. I believe, 
It's just Catherine and David. Oh, Catherine and David. Okay. And Catherine is spelled K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. Okay, um, and and you know, I, it's uh, and uh, do you do you guys um, do public appearances as well, uh, talking about what's wrong with whatever? Yes, we do. Um, our the the one we have coming up right away is January thirty first. We'll be teaching the master gardeners of Pierce County, which is Tacoma, um, an all day session with them. And then we will be at the Northwest Flower and Garden Show in Seattle on Friday, February 7th. That's a a big show, um, the Northwest one. That's a big show. I think it's the second biggest country after the Philadelphia Flower Show. It's huge. Oh, wow. Yeah, they get uh, oh thousands and thousands of people come to that show. I think around 80,000 people usually attend the show. The oh, Fox, wow. we use about two hundred, <laughs> not all eighty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> and but but when when you're there, people can get signed copies of their books. Yes, and yes. And, our, and all of our events, we have we have the books, and we um, they are to sign them. And then at the end of February, we will be teaching the um, King County Gardeners, which is Seattle uh, group of master gardeners. We'll be teaching some of their classes an all day session again. Uh-huh. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. That's in February 8th, so oh. not the end of February. But I wanted to mention on our website, um, you can sign up for our newsletter on the on our new site, the CatherineAndDavid.com, and you can um, you can always ask us. Anyone can write us and ask us questions if they're having issues with their plants. Welcome to contact us through the website, and we will do our best to help them sort out what the problem is and how to fix it. Okay, and and I know we we didn't get chance to mention um, all of the um, the things that, that you talk about in this uh, the fruit garden, but you go into some of the tropical ones like the citrus and the kumquats and persimmons and figs and the whole kit and caboodle, not just the most common ones. Is that right? That's right. Yes, uh, citrus and and bananas and uh, um, guavas, olives. Uh, lots and lots and lots of uh, tropicals are included in this book. And, and, and do you, of course, I'm sorry. Do, in, do, uh, do you give sources as to where people can get these from as well? Um, yes, we do. There's a um, there's sources in the in the back of the book that uh, that give list places where these where plants can be purchased. Oh, okay. Um, because I, I know where to get citrus, um, but I'm not quite sure where to get some of those others. They they sound really exciting to to grow. Um, and, and most of most of the um, the tropicals, of course, would would they come under the house plant job as well? A, a lot of them do. Yes, uh, some. Well, citrus in particular. We we grow. We have a lime tree and a Meyer lemon tree that we grow as house plants. They get a summer vacation outdoors. Uh, but they're in the house all winter long, and they, they you know, they fruit for us uh, quite well. Uh, there's other plants, tropicals like avocados, which is a huge evergreen tree, tropical tree. Um, it does make house, but it's not going to fruit as a house plant. Oh, okay. Um, I, I would. I get the feeling that the avocado is a little bit like the banana tree. Um, those get very big as well. 
Yes, they do. There, there's a, a nice, uh, a very nice uh, super dwarf, uh, dwarf Cavendish banana that does make a good house plant. It only gets two or three feet tall and wide. So oh, it's well. a very pretty plant for the, for the house, and it does make actual bananas that you can eat. Oh, wow. That, that would be fun. Um, be- yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, and does it have those beautiful big flowers on it, or are the flowers diminutive and the the fruit diminutive um, comparable to the size? The the fruits are small. They're smaller than the supermarket banana, but they're they're just like the supermarket banana, and uh, it doesn't need to be pollinated. Uh, the, the bananas don't. The bees want to come to the bananas for the nectar and the pollen, but they don't have to have it. They're they're what's called parthenocarpic. They uh, make fruit without pollination. Okay. That's why they're seedless. Yeah, that, that, that would be a fun, fun one to grow. Uh, but, but didn't the Cavendish, didn't they have some sort of, a, um, some sort of an issue on, on the commercial market? Uh, is it that one that, that had problems? Yes, uh, it's, the, it's the primary, the, the big, there are several different varieties of Cavendish banana, uh, and they're the standard size plants are, are pretty much the ones that are grown around the world as the, as the uh, supermarket banana, uh, and they are subject to a fungus disease that uh, can wipe out the entire plantation, oh. Panama disease. Yeah. Um, yeah. They get a bunch of virus, too. Yeah, um, and I think it would be exciting to, to get um, a small banana. Um, that, that sounds like a great idea. Um, but, but from your um, website, um, do you have a, a blog on there as well? Yes. Yes, our website does have a blog, and we're, good, we're, we're just setting up our new website. Um, and our blog is going to be posted uh, on our website, but also it will appear on Facebook and on Twitter um, and at our, our author central site on Amazon. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you say that you're on the social media thing too. What is your Facebook and, and uh, that type of thing? Is that under the book's name or under your name? Well, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be under Catherine and David. Um, and like I said, we're we're just setting it up. We we have our personal uh, Facebook pages, and, and we're changing those because uh, it's all mixed up between our our, our personal uh, friends and family, uh, relatives, and, uh, and <laughs> business. So. We're in the in the process of changing, but right now, uh, David is you know Facebook slash David Theodore. And I'm Facebook slash Catherine Wadsworth. But I will say in the next two to three weeks, we will have a business page up, and it's also called Catherine and David. And, and that they can get, if they go to your web page, they'll be able to click the, the Facebook page on there, and it would take, take them to, the, to your Facebook page for the, the business. Yes, correct. absolutely correct. Oh, okay. Um, because, I mean, uh, I think a lot of people have that pro- problem. I mean, it's great to hear hear about the new baby and things like that, but you don't really want that if people want the fruit trees. <laughs> and, and when, yeah. Exactly. 
<laughs> and I think, think that's a prob- problem a lot of people have. And I think that's why a lot of people have, um, you know, particularly when they've got um, a book out, uh, they have it de- designated to the, the fruit um, the fruit fruit book or something like that. But, uh, yeah. People really want to see pictures of our grandchildren. <laughs> Well, it's always kind of cute if you know know you, but uh, yeah, but uh, but anyway, we're kind of at the end of the towards the end of the show, guys. Um, but I, I want to thank you for being being guests. It's been a great um, conversation, and I'm sorry we couldn't cover all the fruit that are in there because there has to be about sixty odd different fruits in there. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, and thank you for having us. It's been a lot of fun. Yes, thank you. It's been fun as as always. Oh, well, thank you. Um, and say, so we're right at the end of the show. Um, but thank you to everybody for listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show this morning. Thank you, David and Catherine. And uh, we'll be back next week with another show talking all about growing veggies. Have a good gardening week, everyone. And join me back here next Saturday.